You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. We all go through our lives and our careers surrounded by others. Often, on that journey, we're fortunate to meet people who have a profound effect on us, whether it be in the workplace or in our daily lives, and often that profound effect can come to us through little more than the right piece of advice offered at the right time by the right person. Those lessons not only stick with us, but often we have the opportunity to pass on received wisdom to others in the hope that it will help them the way it helped us. Over the last 65 weeks, Adventures in Finance has been graced by many wonderful guests who've both educated and inspired, and each of them has been the recipient of profound advice which has helped them shape their lives and their careers. This week, Adventures in Finance, Collective Wisdom. Today is the 10th of April 2018 and welcome everybody to episode 66 of Adventures in Finance in a slightly lower part of Manhattan. Alex, come in Alex, you there? Hi Grant, how are you? Mate, I am very, very good. Beautiful, beautiful day in New York. Yes, indeed. Nothing like this place when on a day like this. Uh, It's a very fine line. You're you're always about three degrees for being too hot and the whole city stinking, but we are in the perfect spot. This is the one good day, yeah. (laughs) There you go. And in the Cayman Islands... Producer James. I'm feeling left out that I'm not up there with you guys. Mate, we would we would be much happier if you were up here, but uh, we will have to abuse you from the uh, from a different country. Well, I've never even seen I've never seen uh, greenery in New York because the only times that I've ever been in New York is when it's been in the, the depths of winter. Well, you need to find an excuse to come up here, but do it quick because uh, before too long, I dare say it'll get <laughs> hot and sweaty and horrible. But it is perfect right now. Anyway, look, enough of New York weather. We have a lot to get to this week in what is the last of uh, the series of Adventures in Finance before we unveil the new Real Vision Presents podcast coming to your ears next week. All right, but enough of New York weather. We have a lot to get to this week before we bring the curtain down on Adventures in Finance and unveil next week to you uh, our new podcast, Real Vision Presents, which is one of a number of changes that uh, regular listeners will have heard Real and I talk about last week. Yeah, while I was tramping around Spain. Tramping uh, around Spain, indeed. You, you guys uh, heard Real and Grant talk about some of the some of the big changes we're, we're making over here at Real Vision, including slashing the price to $180 a year and, and really doubling the amount of content you get. Um, you still get that incredible 
long-form peer-to-peer uh, interviews that you might know Real Vision for and that are actually a bit similar to, to what you get on the podcast. Um, and we're also adding some some trade ideas. So it's going to be a whole suite of, of stuff here. And it's, so the podcast and uh, Real Vision, the website, are both changing together. So there you go. That's plug over. Plug over. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff we want to get to this week. We've got some fantastic guests returning to uh, wrap up Adventures in Finance with us. We're going to be talking to a whole bunch of them. We'll introduce them one at a time instead of going through them now. But before we get to that, it's long, short time. One last time, Alex. Uh, and as always, I'm going to give you the advantage of going first, my friend. Okay. Uh, well, I am short selfies. Ah, excellent. Well, I, I, I listen, I don't even want to hear the rest of this. I'm taking, the other, I'm taking that trade with you. Yeah, so it, it can be hard to get a good angle, but uh, also you could die taking them. There was a story, not really a kind of a sad story, actually, because it did involve a man dying. It's an Indian man who decided to take a selfie with an injured bear uh, that he saw. <laughs> oh, I saw this. Oh, Everyone told him not to. Uh, he decided still would get him those Facebook likes that he needed. Uh, and <clears throat> he did go over. He didn't go as he had uh, uh, wanted to go. Might go as you would expect, which is that the bear <laughs> did not take kindly to the idea of being in this man's Facebook profile picture. Um and he he was a bit he was a bit mauled. Uh, there was actually a, a side note, which is that the other people around were apparently too busy taking their own pictures right. uh, to to help him, according to a story in in the Hindustan Times. So at least he he got that picture with a bear, I, I suppose. Well, I, I, I love the delicate way you said he got a bit mauled. Um, <laughs> Okay, sensitive as always, Alex. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, look, the world we live in, I presume we probably need to add a disclaimer, don't try this at home, taking selfies with injured bears. But Well, well you know what's interesting is this is actually, there was a study about how many selfie-related deaths there were, and there were 127 worldwide from March 2014 to September 2016. And interestingly enough, 76 of those deaths happened in India, so... Well, I, I, I mean, I don't, I, make I, I, I don't know percentage of the world's population versus percentage of selfie deaths. I don't know if it's uh, it, it's got there's got to be some uh, correlation there, yeah. I guess. But uh, you know, look, it's 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 astounding to me the lengths people go to to take strange and wonderful selfies. You've seen all these ones of guys at the top of buildings and stuff. I mean, yeah, God bless you, but. Uh, yeah, all right. I'm on the same side of the trade with you. Yeah. Now, look, I, I, I want to change things again. I'm going to get you to give me your long as well. I'm going to take both of mine after you. So what have you got on the long side this week? Fair enough. Um, so I am long people who hate their jobs. Okay. Uh, according to uh, uh, Labor uh, Department data this week, the number of job openings hit 6.6 million in the month of March, finally above the number of people who are looking for work. So we've also seen uh, a huge percentage of people quitting um, as as compared to total separation. So of the people who left their work, 62% of them quit rather than were fired in March. So if uh, if you think now is the time to, to tell your boss what you really think of him, it, you actually might be right. Well, okay. Is there anything else you want to add to that, Alex? Um, I've got something to say. <laughs> is this leading up to something? <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, listen, don't, don't roll those dice, my friend. Do not roll those dice, whatever you do. Well, look, there's, a, there's a very good reason I let you take your long and short this week, and that's because uh, this week I'm going to totally cheat, and I've got two longs instead of a long and a short, which obviously goes with my optimistic, upbeat personality. Now, my first long uh, of the week is actually one of our guests this week, uh, Mark Cahodes, uh and his fantastic wife, Aurora. And uh, today the story uh, is out of um, basically justifying a lot of the things that Mark has been crusading against with uh, a company called MyMedics. 
there's an unsealed grand jury indictment, which um, which speaks to a lot of the things that Mark has spoken about. And he and I talked about this last November in our Real Vision interview. And, you know, to, to meet Mark and his wife, Aurora, who are just fantastic people, and, and to see up close the the brickbats and the pain that they go through when Mark takes on one of these uh, one of these companies that he insists is a fraud. Uh, so it's 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 fantastic to see someone with that kind of dogged determination to try and make um, the market safer and try and take some of these guys out of the way. It, it's it's gratifying to see uh, that the things that Mark goes through come to fruition and uh, and him get you know the justification for what he's been talking about. So the story isn't over yet. When it is, he's promised me. He'll sit down with me and we'll uh, we'll go through the whole story for the Real Vision cameras. But uh, my first long this week is uh, our Mark and Aurora Cahodes, great people, uh, fighting the good fight and uh, and coming out on top today, which is which is great to see. Um, now, my second long uh, before we wrap up venture finance is you, our fantastic audience. You know, we've done sixty. This is the sixty sixth edition on adventures in finance and we've had some fantastic emails from you, some complimentary, some uh, full of criticism, uh, but it's always certainly been taken as constructive so i apologize to any of you out there that just wanted to really have a go as we've unfortunately taken it as constructive criticism so if we've shot you in the foot by doing that i apologize um but really it, it's it's fantastic to, to do this every week and get the chance to uh to speak to tens of thousands of people and, and to have them understand what we're doing embrace it and engage with us has been has been a real thrill so uh, in seriously a sincere thanks to me uh, and Alex and James, to all of you out there for listening and, and for allowing us to do this and, and, and for engaging with us week after week. Yes, I guess um, it, when, we, when we started Adventures in Finance, so we didn't really know where it was going to go. And I think that's been one of the great things, uh, you know, through emails and social media, all the people that have reached out to us and, you know, given us feedback and, and joined the conversations that, that we started um, in the episode, you know, um, uh, beforehand i think that's that's really quite something special that it, it's it's more of a community uh that's grown up around the podcast and i think that's exactly great. right and and you know what? we should give a special shout out to uh the how how many people have you got on your twitter feed james now oh, oh we haven't, we haven't done, done this for a while we haven't, we haven't checked this for a while all right here we go this is me logging on to twitter <laughs> this is me saying forgot password Oh, no, no. This is me waiting for the email. 477 followers. Hey! In that case, a very special shout yes. out to those 477 hardy souls. If, <laughs> if there's any way we could get 23 more of you this week to just jump in the pool and give James around 500, that would be awesome. Hey, and Mark Cahodes is doing a live uh, streaming right now. That's brilliant. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, talking about Mark Cahodes, let's get into uh, our very special feature for you this week. Um, <clears throat> and what we wanted to do was bring back a bunch of uh, the guests we've had on the podcast who have graced the airwaves with us over the last 66 weeks and and get a special piece of advice from them. So we we brought on um, Chris Cole of Artemis Capital, of Jawad Mian of Stray Reflections, the wonderful Pippa Malmgren of H Robotics, Mark Cahodes, as I've mentioned, uh, Simon Mikhailovich of Tokel Bullion Reserve, the awesome Ben Hunt, author of Epsilon Theory, Jeff Snyder, and D Smith. And we asked all of them to share with us the single best piece of advice that they've been given. And kicking things off for us, uh, Chris Cole, who I had the great fortune to interview in Austin, Texas. Uh, geez, I was going to say last year, but I think it was the year before now. Time really flies. He's such a he's such a nice, gentle, thoughtful man uh, and just wicked smart. I, I spent the whole time in the chair opposite him, hanging on for dear life, trying to keep up with him. And we asked Chris, what was the best piece of advice he'd ever been given? I think it's actually uh, a simple piece of advice. 
And it, it ties in with something that, that I've always said, that volatility is an instrument of truth. And I think the ultimate truth is being true to yourself. So when I was very young, somebody once told me, just lead the life you want to live and judge success based on your own terms rather than the lens of other people. And what this person said that, look, if you follow a connect-the-dots route to success and just judge your success based on what other people think success is, you'll always feel like a failure. If you judge success based on some element of a vision of money, then you'll always feel poor. If you're judging it based on other people's vision of strength, you'll feel weak. If you're judging it by some perception of your body, you'll always be ugly. And this idea, at the end of the day, is just to be true to yourself. And as Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss. And do the thing that, that makes you happy, that you feel is right, and, uh, and, and judge based on your own truth. Uh, when I wanted to start a hedge fund, I had a, I had a good career at a bank. I wanted to go start my own hedge fund. And somebody, somebody told me, um, multiple people told me that's insane and that um, I didn't have the pedigree to do that. I'm so glad I didn't listen because uh, I'm not a dog. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> You're not a dog. Um, it's, it's what matters inside of you, what you believe is true. And if you lead your life to uh, minimize your regrets and focus on what is true in yourself, I think uh, that's the pathway to happiness. Uh, you know, it goes back to this idea that, uh, you know, Warren Buffett's the wealthiest, or one of the wealthiest men in the world, um, but he's also pushing 90. And uh, so he has $65 billion or more. You know, would you sp- switch places with him? And uh, that puts a massive, I would say no, I would not. Um, and what that says about how one values one's time and uh, how one converts time into money. And so the time is very much valuable. And to use that time efficiently, you have to be true to yourself and understanding what matters to make yourself happy and and not not what makes other people happy Uh, or not what other people's vision of success is for you, but your own. That's, that's that's an extraordinarily profound piece of advice to kick off with. I mean, you know, was there was there a moment um, apart from the hedge fund, maybe later on in your career, when you've had to kind of check and go back to that piece of advice and 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 use it to ground yourself at any particular moment? Yeah, I think it's I think it's important anytime you have any modicum of success because then you end up getting caught up in your own success and you start believing in your own ego and your own myth, and that's very dangerous. So uh, in, in some instances, um, this, this advice is particularly true or, or worth remembering when you've actually had an element of success, but it also pushes you through to keep uh, working harder in a period of failure. Um, so I think that's, that's very powerful. Um, you know, another, it's a small piece of advice that someone gave me, uh, and not someone in finance, but I think all too often we, we oftentimes you look at pro athletes, for example, and you know, if a, if a pro athlete is resting or getting treatment for their body, uh, we say, of course, that's, that makes perfect sense. But all too often um, in our field, we're mental athletes, and we're not taking care of our minds or resting our minds. And, uh, you know, a couple years ago, somebody once told me, look, you, you, have, you should meditate. Meditating is, in, is the rest for the mind. And, uh, and I think Tim Ferriss uh, in one of his books, had indicated that 80% of 
people he interviewed who he considered high performers have some form of daily meditation practice. And so this individual told me a great piece of advice, which was just, just meditate daily for three to five minutes. And even if you're terrible at it, just do it every day. <laughs> even if it's for three minutes or five minutes. Um, this, is the, this, is, this is you taking care of your mind as a mental athlete. And that's a great piece of advice. Um, and I, I started doing that, and it, I was terrible at it at first and really became part of my daily practice. Now it's, now it's possible to do an hour easily. Um, so, I, you know, I think, I think uh, I, that is part of the daily training, just as an athlete has a daily training regimen for their body. Anyone who's using their mind should have a daily tra- training regimen for the mind. And, you know, that second piece of advice actually relates to the first. The two interconnect. It allows you to find truth if you can quiet the mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Chris's work. He's a really deep thinker. And, and I thought his metaphor of just like uh, a physical athlete takes breaks, so should a mental athlete take breaks and try to meditate every day or, or at least do something where you're you're taking a break and, and taking time off and, and reflecting and, and trying to get better going forward i i think that's a that's a really powerful piece of something something i'm i'm trying to do a little more of but uh but and struggling a little bit but but uh, uh, this might just be the thing that gets me to meditate a little more well if james and i could make one success, uh, suggestion if you could avoid doing it in the middle of the podcast that would be uh, <laughs> that would be great you know look it, it, it's funny things like what chris talked about there they're so simple and they're so obvious and they're so hard to do. You know, it seems ridiculous that finding five minutes in your day is is, is a difficult thing to do. But I, I think he's absolutely right. And, you know, it's funny, as as time would have it and luck would have it uh, in our schedule, uh, Joe Admian, who was joining us from uh, the Middle East, had to change his scheduling and, and bring his call forward. And so we ended up talking to Joe Ad right after Chris Cole. And, you know, it's amazing the serendipity of this because Joe Ad is a very thoughtful very spiritual guy, as anybody who's listened to him, uh, both on Adventures in Finance and in our summer series, when we talked about uh, talked about the things he likes to read and the things he likes to do away from finance. Joe is an incredibly thoughtful character, and, and what he had to say just dovetailed perfectly with what we spoke to Chris about. So, Joe, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Who gave it to you, and uh, and how did you think about it? It was actually uh, very recently. It's a four-year-old boy. I was watching this clip uh, of this four-year-old boy in some American suburb, and he had told his parents that I want you to take my allowance and any toy budget that you guys have for me and just buy me sandwiches. And then on the weekend, he'd go out and he'd give those sandwiches to all the people that were without home or he felt that needed them. And when he'd give them the food, he always leaves them with one piece of advice. And that advice was, don't forget to show love. Or that's how he <laughs> said it. Um, so don't forget to show love. I think it sounds so simple. And yet, as I thought about it over and over again, I thought it was so, so profound. Um, because the way I think about it, you know, we're living in a world, and hopefully life is a journey from one of selfishness to eventually one, reaching selflessness. I mean, the greatest people in the world were all selfless in their devotion and duty. And we're living in a world today where we almost all the time think about ourselves. The things we do are for ourselves, even though we like to believe that they're not, or they may even seem otherwise. But then here, love comes along, and love destroys a calculating mind. It's, 
destroy the ego by humbling yourself or putting yourself in front of others. You do something that no rational mind would do, like this four-year-old boy, and then you're selflessly putting yourself um, behind other person's needs. And when you do something for the sake of its goodness, without expectation, without reward, um, it, I just think in anything you do, whether it's work, whether it's life, whether it's your relationships, um, anything, it's just, it's just a nice, kind reminder to just, you know, don't forget to show love. You know, you know so, sometimes these, these pieces of advice, they do come in, A, the most, from the most unusual places, and B, you know, often in the simplest forms. Yeah, hearing something like that, and you and I have spoken many, many times, and, and I love our conversations because they always have this kind of spiritual undertone to them that you, know, you, you get me thinking about things that I, I normally don't ever have the time or the inclination to think about. But you know, with something like that, um, trying to imply, uh, trying to apply uh, wisdom like that to to investing is a it's a very difficult thing to do because it's it's by its nature, it's it's I won't say a greedy enterprise, but there there is a very distinct end to most people's investing, and it's the realization of profit. So, so how do you go about taking something like that and and applying it within the context of finance? Um, I don't know about how to apply it in the context of finance particularly, but I think uh, we can apply it to a personal level, which then applies indirectly to the world of finance. Um, and I guess the way I think about it is like, you know, the, the nature always has stuff to teach us. And if you look at the trees and, and everything in nature, you know, one thing that they all have in common is that no one takes more than they need. Right, um, they, you know, a, 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 a tree would only take the amount of soil that it needs into the nutrients. That's that's it, not not more. And I think when we look at the world of finance, we we're sort of cursed, where we just want more and more and more. Yeah. You know, um, and when someone reminds you about, don't forget to show love, and hopefully, um, you then put others' needs in front of your in front of your own. And hopefully even, you know, the pursuit of riches, as long as they're for the right intent, I think is a noble act, right? So I think that's the only way that I think of applying it where, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think you and I have had this conversation before where I thought, you know, uh, a younger Jawad thought that, you know, being a billionaire was a sign of success. You know, now I actually think being a billionaire is a sign of failure because, I think you've, by being a billionaire, you've actually, you're hoarding a lot of what is needed today. And, you know, you could plan for some future, but, you know, the truth is that future is uncertain. It's always, always about being in the present uh, and doing whatever we can um, to make the most of it. So for the world of finance, you know, it's how you structure your, your working relationships, how you structure your deals, um, how do you manage your wealth, how do you distribute your wealth. That's how I think it's applicable. You know, that 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 short clip is just, if, if anyone wants to know what Jawad Mien is all about, that just says it perfectly. You know, he's he's such uh, a generous guy, such a thoughtful guy, and the idea that the best advice he ever had was just don't forget to show love is, is so representative of the man. You know, there's nothing really else to say. Yeah, and I love the idea of, of getting advice from from wherever it comes, even if it's a four year old kid in a YouTube video. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. But, the, but, the, but that's, don't forget to show love. That's that's. There's a lot of a lot of depth and, and a lot of wisdom in that one. I like that. There certainly is. Next up, 
uh, one of my favorite people and someone I had the great good fortune to have dinner with last night when we accidentally both found ourselves in New York City, and that's Dr. Pippa Melgren. And Pippa gave us a piece of advice that although it's only directly applicable to 50% of the population, I think there's a lesson in there for everybody. So Pippa, what's the best piece of advice anyone's ever given you? Well, I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter and uh, a woman who had been the first woman on the SEC appointed by Jimmy Carter. She said to me, I bet you're worried about how you're going to manage your career and your child. And of course I said, yes, absolutely. And she said, let me tell you something. The kid will think whatever you do as the mother is normal. They won't have any reference points. So you manage it the way it feels right for you and it will all be fine. And you know, it's funny, but so now I've got a 14-year-old daughter who is absolutely marvelous and has turned out beautifully, even though I've had a career where I have been running around the world quite a lot. And she was right. It just somehow worked out. And that was a great piece of advice. Otherwise, I've been really worrying about that the whole time. <laughs> I mean, is, is it a piece? Because obviously your schedule is unlike just about anybody else's. Uh, uh, yeah, is this something that you – you specifically go back to in periods where you've got a dash to you know Beijing and then back to Washington and then to London and do you do you specifically revisit that advice or is it just always kind of there at the back of your mind? Uh, I do, and I'm very careful to sort my timings in the best possible way. So yes, it's true that I'm in a lot of different cities all the time, but I try to be at home when my daughter's at home in the morning. So if I'm going to fly to Beijing, I'll fly at lunchtime. So at least I can be with her in the beginning of part of the day or I organize to do super late flights or so that I can be with her after she comes home from school in the afternoon. And when I'm away, uh, you know, she's with her, her dad, my ex-husband, which means she's at home and that's a great place for her to be. But, you know, when you're traveling like mad in this crazy world we're in, you getting the balance right between what your personal life requires and, and what the business requires is a hard thing, and it's a permanent challenge. It, it doesn't go away. Pippa, how, how do you think uh, seeing uh, you, you live this uh, kind of unique uh, and, and globe-trotting life that you lead will influence your daughter as she you know, embarks on her career eventually? Well, it's really interesting. She's quite a global person, and I've taken her with me whenever I could to different parts of the world. So she's pretty fluid and relaxed moving between different cultural environments, and she sees the world as a place that she can operate in. She's not very country-specific. So she's a Brit, but she wants to go to college in the United States. Uh, she understands a life where you can be working in a lot of different parts of the world. So I think it's had a big influence on her that, you know, when I call her from wherever I am, she's, she kind of gets, where is Korea? Where is Brazil? You know, my mom is in the Middle East. You know, but these are all places that you can spend time in and be involved with. So she's not very, um, she's a true global citizen. I'll put it that way. Uh, Pip, one more question and then, we'll, and then we'll let you go because I know you're running around New York City. But um, how, how do you manage... Mm -hmm. The fatigue, because you know, I know kids are demanding, maybe not so much when they're 14, but how do you manage the fatigue of, of getting off overnight red-eye flights and coming home? And, and obviously, you want to spend time with your daughter, and it's really difficult, I've always found, to 
to to to be up and energetic in that time you get how do you manage that yeah it's true um, i'm super lucky that i can sleep pretty much anywhere anytime i can literally <laughs> sleep in the back of a taxi between meetings uh and also i think that uh you know a lot of people feel like they have to be busy all the time I'm totally cool not doing anything at, during periods of my day. I actually think we don't spend enough time doing absolutely nothing. And my co-author on the book that I'm releasing in October, which is about leadership in the 21st century, he wrote an amazing book where he says we are all spending way too much time running so hard. We haven't got that question of space to just be instead of doing. And with kids... Well, quite often, you're also not really doing anything. You're just being at home. Uh, I, I tend to share some hobbies with my daughter. One of them is cooking. You know, so we hang out in the kitchen and we're cooking stuff. And that's when she tells me about what's going on in her world and shows me these hilarious Instagram, you know, videos that she thinks are funny, which frankly are. And we share, you know, what music are you listening to and what am I listening to? And so, I don't know, some of it is, it's not just about the hours in the day. It's about how you use them. And, and I really think it's important to think how many hours in a day are you doing versus how many hours a day are you just being? And if we spent more time being, we'd actually get better, more creative ideas and have more time with, the, with our loved ones. Yeah, it's interesting that kind of the similarities between what Pippa said and, and what Chris said in terms of take, taking those times away from whatever we, we think we're supposed to be doing and actually think about what it is that we're doing and, and taking that time with and actually goes to what Jawad is saying about finding ways to show love. So uh, some really interesting tie-ins between the advice we've heard already. Well, it's funny because a lot of these things, uh, have, have, when, you, when I've talked to people, and I've asked this question to a lot of people I've sat and chatted with, and it's it's amazing how many of them it's really got nothing to do with finance per se. It's not advice about markets. It's not advice about trading or position sizing or any of that stuff. It, it's life advice. And it's, it's, it's really difficult, as I said before, to try and apply this stuff to your life in the hope of making your investment style better, your returns better. But it's crucially important. And, and our next guest is someone I've mentioned him before, um, but here's a guy who has applied all kinds of wisdom and continues to apply it every day uh, in the teeth of a series of pitch battles. So we caught up with Mark Cahodes out in California. So, Mark, what's the best piece of advice anybody's ever given you? Well, I've thought of this for a while, and there's two, two people. One, when I was a young guy in this business, I met an analyst at William Blair. His name is Ron Strauss. And, and what he said is right is might. And when you're right and you do your work and you have it figured out, all the other noise just doesn't matter. And that's something when I'm getting my ass squeezed, I always default back to that. I say, although I can't stand and can't stand to look at where the price of a certain stock is, whether up or down, but I say to myself, I have this figured out and I go with it. 
And that dovetails to my son. And he's 31. He's disabled. He has cerebral palsy. And he is and has been my inspiration since he was a little tyke. He went to a regular school. He went to a regular high school, graduated college, the whole bit. Whenever I'm in the tank or in the dumps, he says to never, ever give up. He says he doesn't give up. He fights through what he has going, and he says I'm not to give up. And that powers me to no end. So between Ron Strauss and his right is might, and my son with uh, never give up, those are, those are kind of the two focal points that I live with. Now, I lose, and I lose plenty. Um, I can get worn into oblivion and don't want to go broke being right, and sometimes things get taken over that I'm short or uh, black swan events occur. But it's not because I don't dig Research, try to figure out an assurance because I don't give up. Because I don't give up. If I'm wrong, I give up. And I say I'm wrong, but I'm, I, in a test of will, I don't give up. You know, it's, it, look, everything that you've done in your career is testament to those two pieces of advice being, being central, both to, to, you know, to what you do and, I guess, more importantly, <laughs> how you do it. Because it's tough. You live a t- it's a tough place you're in. Oh, oh I, I was talking to, to someone uh, I was talking to my buddy Ed, who's the lead singer of Collective Soul, and, and, and I just saw him in Reno. And he writes songs. He's a tremendous musician. He plays everything, and he has a wonderful voice. And I was telling him, and we get along so well, and he says, why do you think that is? Because we're both very different. I said, you and I lead tortured existences. You know, if you're a musician, he can wake up and he has a song in his head. He wakes up and he writes it down or he, he does it and he, he travels and, and, and he has a hectic life. And there's a lot more to being a rock star than just, you know, being on stage and singing and things like that. But I lead a tortured existence because I go to bed every night thinking it's my medics' last day. And every morning I wake up before my feet hit the ground at 3am. The fact that Parker Petit is still a free man and my medics hasn't been raided. I actually wake up pissed off that here's another day in the salt mines to work harder to do these guys in. And, and, and it's just, and it's just sort of me. I mean, I think I'm a delightful fellow. I think I'm a good husband, a good dad, and a and a friend to many. But it's it's almost it's truly my head is not wired properly. <laughs> but but that's just me, and it's what I have to do. Well, I I can testify you to you being uh, a very good fellow, uh, and I look forward to the next time you and I get a chance to sit down because yeah, there's I, one I, hell of a story to tell. Oh God, there's I mean that's that's the whole thing. I mean just crazy it's just it's just if 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 you weren't here to watch it see it film it do the harvard thing you almost wouldn't believe it It, you'd almost think it's fiction yeah no kidding 
No kidding. Right, like, right. I mean, I mean, it, it, yeah. It, it looks, we'll, we'll, you and I will get back together again very soon and, and cool. tell that story, and I can't wait. But until then, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a busy day for you, I know, and thanks for taking the time out. You know, there's a reason why I called Mark out specifically at the beginning of this podcast because, uh, you know, I, I've been a fan of his for a very, very long time. Um, I, I've, I have the utmost admiration for anyone who's a short seller because I know what a really tough place to be it is. Um, you know, when I, when I spoke to Felix Zulaf recently in another interview, he said, you know, at, at turning points, you're always very, very lonely. And I think uh, when you do what Mark does for a living, you're lonely all the time. And so having spent time with him and got to know uh, Mark and Aurora, you realize what, what special people they are. And, and that it, it comes at a cost and it requires an incredible amount of determination. Um, and so you know, Mark's words about, about never giving up and when you know you're right, uh, push it, is, is, it just rings so true to me. Yeah. I, I also just want to mention, Graham, uh, for, for people who are interested in hearing more of Mark, I mean, Grant, your interview with Mark Ahotis, where you went to his chicken farm and sat with him and talked about my medics and, and also his overall investment philosophy. And he told this really kind of heartbreaking story about what happened to him during the financial crisis. That is, and I'm not the only person who said this, that's like one of the best interviews I've ever seen in my life. And I'm really excited to see you You talk to him again about uh, about what's next for him and, and what's happened in the intervening time, because there has been a lot. Yeah, it's it's look, it's an amazing story, and, and look, we've 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 had a bunch of people who've uh, who've taken trials out in Real Vision since last week, and, and I would urge any of you who haven't done so to to look that uh, to look that conversation up because uh, it is extraordinary. It was the first one in the series I did, and it, and it, it really set us such an incredibly high bar to keep trying to get over every week, yeah. uh, every month, and uh, and it's just there's just so much in there for everybody. Well, next up. Um, Another dear, dear friend of mine, Simon Mikhailovich, and Simon's someone who, uh, you know, I, I, I've lost count of the amount of wise things that he's offered me in the past. He just has this way uh, of saying, I did actually ban him from his his uh, best piece of advice being a Russian saying, because every time I hear Mark, the Russians apparently have a saying for absolutely everything. And Mark, uh, Simon starts half the conversations we have with, you know, there's an old Russian saying. Uh, but we, I banned him from doing that. But what he had to say was was equally interesting. So, Simon, what's the best piece of advice anybody's ever given you? Uh, I would have, there were two best pieces of advice. The first, when I started my first job, I had a boss who was a very nice man. My first boss in an in investment professional uh, capacity. Uh, but he was a bit lazy and he was not, uh, he didn't like explaining things. Uh, he he sort of he was not a mentor in that sense, and so whenever I would run into a problem uh, where and I was just young I, I was out of college I didn't know anything so whenever I would run into a problem where I didn't really know what to do he would give me an assignment and I'd go back and say well yeah I don't know this uh, his answer would always be well now is a good time to learn and he would send me right out the door. And the value of that advice is really what I discovered through my career, that the time to learn, the best time and the best way to learn about things is in the middle of a specific concrete situation or a concrete problem, because you really learn it not in a theoretical way, but in a very practical way, and the lessons stick with you forever. And, of course, you have an incentive to uh, figure out things pretty quickly. So self-sufficiency and self-reliance is what that type of approach has taught me. I don't think he meant it this way. He just didn't want to explain, but that's how it ended up being. The second lesson, interestingly enough, comes not from any particular person, but from a character 
uh, of Clint Eastwood in the Dirty Harry movies, um, where uh, at one point he looks into a, dry, into a car that's driving away with the crooked the police lieutenant uh, as it blows up and uh, says, uh, man's got to know his limitations. And I think that that's the second probably most valuable advice I got in the investment business because it really, you really shouldn't be doing things you don't understand. Uh, everybody, whether it's investment or life or in general, sticking your fingers and committing capital or taking risks in things that you don't fully understand and not uh, having hubris to think that you know more than you do, uh, it's humbling. Uh, it makes you miss a lot of opportunities potentially, but it also makes you miss a lot of mistakes. And so I would say that that's the second most valuable lesson. I, I guess I guess the easiest example to give in terms of knowing your limitations is the is the subprime short trade. I mean, I, I was running with with uh, with two partners a, a hedge fund firm. We were very much involved in CDOs and in high yield credit. Uh, we understood that space extremely well and it's been extremely good to us. But when an opportunity arose to start shorting uh, subprime CDOs. Uh, I, I literally begged my partner to let's do this. And, and he, and he being as conservative as I am, uh, he kept telling me, it's like, look, we don't know what we're doing. I mean, this is a, this is maybe a great punt, but we don't know what we're doing and it's not our money. It's our investors money. I mean, I'm not going to just commit money on something I don't understand. So of course that was a painful miss, you could say, but it wasn't really a miss because what we did instead is we said, okay, well, there's an opportunity we don't understand, but here's an opportunity we really do understand, and that is the overvaluation of high-yield credit. And so we used the same technology that was used in the subprime short, the, the big short, to do what I would say a modest short, uh, and that is to use credit default swaps to buy protection on uh, CDOs and tranches of CDOs of high-yield uh, uh, you know, high-yield credit, which was not quite as spectacularly profitable as the other trade, but was plenty profitable and made 2008 uh, the best year for the firm and probably the best career year for me uh, and for my partners. And so, yeah, uh, sometimes, you know, you pay a little bit for that, but, uh, but it worked out just fine. So those are the two that I would say stand out in my career and have served me the best. Yeah, you know, I think that's a perfect example because, you know, it's easy to look at that and go, well, you know, following that piece of advice cost you a massive opportunity. But if you actually sit and think about it, um, it's just such a great lesson that, that okay, here's, a, here's, an, here's an opportunity, but we need to do it within the context and the confines of what we know how to do well. I mean, it's, it's such of a what great we lesson. know how to do and what investors, yeah, I mean, well, just imagine going and losing, you know, uh, you, 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 people don't remember. But some of these funds, you know, John Paulson's funds, had like 15, 20% losses for two years running. Yeah. I mean, you know, he raised those funds specifically for that mandate, but what if you're doing it out of a more broad fund and you, you end up losing? So, it, it, so I don't feel like we missed anything. If we had done that trade, it would have been sized so small that it wouldn't have made any better money than what we did. So what we did was absolutely squarely in the middle of our, you know, mandate, and we profited from it and felt good about it. So it was fine. Fun. Well, I think that's a powerful lesson. It, it's so easy to look back on things where, and, on times where we could have made more money or, or avoided losing money and say, wow, so clearly I did the wrong thing. 
But to, to stay within your framework and to look back and say, hey, you know what? It's good I stayed within my framework, even though I could have made more. That's, that, that just seems profoundly healthy to me as an investor. Yeah, look, it's discipline. It, it, it's, it's being a disciplined investor. Uh, I, I think the phrase is sticking to your knitting. And, um, and, and Simon's right. And it's, and it's funny, you know, he, he and his partners did phenomenally well in 08. Uh, you know, could they have hit, hit a, a, a longer home run potentially? But you know what? The ball sailed over the fence, and that's mm. really what counts. So, so I think having the discipline to do that is is equally important. Can I just add in there that uh, there's another Clint Eastwood quote that would go along with that: is that if they had gone through with something they weren't confident about, then you got to ask yourself, do you feel lucky? Ooh. Well, do you? Hey, Jimmy. that's actually Jimmy that, the Creek. Jimmy the Creek. That throw it makes in sense. The, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, the wisdom you know, of Jimmy. While. I've learned something whilst doing this. I'm loving this. All right, uh, moving on. Our next guest uh, from his farm in Connecticut is Ben Hunt, the author of Epsilon Theory and another man who, without even knowing it, has imparted so much wisdom on me. I probably owe him a check, actually, but I'm not going to tell him that. At least it's just you and me doing this, Alex and James, right? No one else is listening. So here's what Ben had to say. So, Ben, what was the best piece of advice anybody's ever given you? (laughs) Well, I I love the question, Grant and I, and I and I have to tell you actually I actually have two because they came to me at the same time the the founder of the uh, the, the firm that I started my uh, investment career uh, with and you know I, I didn't come off of Wall Street I, I had a career in academia and then I started a software company and so I got into investing kind of later in life and it was you know as it always is in these situations of a, a baptism by fire where you're thrown into this, this world. Um, and I, and I, you know, we were, I forget where it was. No, I remember exactly where it was. It was a little, in the little kitchen of the, uh, the, the, the firm, uh, that the two partners had started. And, uh, you know, he was, he was telling me, he said, you know, I can't recollect, I can't do justice to the, to, to the accent, but, uh, you know, he's saying, I got two lessons for you, Ben. These are the things that have, that, that that have meant everything for me in in, in my career, and and I, you know, we've got to know each other pretty well. And it's just time that I that I shared these with you. I said, oh, that's great. Well, what what are they? So, well, they're two. And you know, the first one we're going to have to spend a lot of time on, but it's uh, you know, the story is told to me. And and Ben, you know, I got to tell you, in this business, it's not about the money. It's about the money. <laughs> so that, that was it. That was it. So yeah, that was that was the first lesson. Yeah, it's not about the money. It's about the money. And um, like I say, we don't have to dwell on that one too long, except for me to say that the the, the the more time I do spend in this business, it's such a short, pithy lesson, and it is so true. Right. So whether 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 you're evaluating a company, whether it's you know the business we're in. It's about the money. <laughs> so that was the first lesson, and you know he gave that one pretty quickly to me. And but it's the second lesson I've actually, um, you know, had more time to wrestle with because it's 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 a little deeper, and, and it's got a couple of dimensions that I I think it has a couple of dimensions I'd love to share with. And the the, the second piece I say, all right, Dan, the second piece, second big thing you got to know about this business is. You always live to fight another day. 
uh, you always live to fight another day. And, uh, yeah, he's a poker player. I'm a poker player. And, and, and so I said, well, so I mean, you never go all in on investment. Yeah, that's right. You never go all in. And, and I, I've been wrestling with that for a long time now because it's kind of in our popular mythology, both of poker, but also about our business of investing that there's a, there's a mythology that you do want to go all in. Right. Right. That that's, that that's, that that's how you show you are, um, you know, have real conviction in the position and, you know, you really know you push all your chips on the table and that's the, I think that's the Hollywood vision of both uh, investing and, and of poker. But, you know, I was, I was talking to a, a, a professional poker player, you know, about filling in, you know, how he, he, he played the tournaments. And, and it became clear to me that it, it, certainly in the world of poker, you, you don't want to call it, it, it. A good tournament means that you, you never go all in, right? That the, that the goal, in fact, in playing a tournament is, play, is you never want to go all in. You know, so, so I correlated this there from the movie Patton. I think it's an actual quote that's a, that from, from actual Patton, General Patton, where somebody was saying about, you know, the, you know, the brave, brave men, you know, dying for their country. And he's like, no, no, no. What? <laughs> you, you don't want to be a brave guy dying for your country. You want the other bastards to be the brave men dying for their country. And it's the same thing with poker. You don't want to be the one going all in. You want your opponents around the table to be in a position where they have to go all in. And I got to tell you, that's exactly the same way in our business of investing. And I think it's in two respects. It's both in the respects of the actual investments we make, where, you know, in, in this business, particularly if you're doing it right, you're wrong about something every day. And there's just no way, it, it is an impossibility when you're dealing with, you know, to use a $10 phrase, the stochastic functions, the, the luck, either the luck of the draw in a game of poker or in the luck of human behavior and world events in our world of investing, there is nothing where you should be going all in on. And, and that, that, that struck me when I was first told this, but the more I think about it, the more I think that's so true in the, in the investments we make, you always need to live to fight another day. And that gets me to this kind of second dimension of this, which I really think is the dimension that the founder of this firm actually really meant it in. It's not just in our individual investments and the trades we make where no matter how much conviction we have in the trade, you never go all in. But it's also in the sense of this notion of always living to fight another day. It, it, it also connects with, with the, how I think you have to carry yourself in this business. Because what I think is underappreciated, uh, particularly by newbies like me when I first heard this, is that the the business we're in, it's it's a business that it's a, a field of engagement that can last a lifetime. But for it to last a lifetime, the thing you have to maintain at all costs, without exception, is your reputation. 
you if you're if you're within a, a firm that taints your reputation, if you if you take actions that taint your reputation, then you're done in this business. I don't care really I really don't care how much money you've made or how successful your trades have been. You're done. And so what's really critical I think is that to avoid the situations and going all in on something when everything is at risk is one of those situations where you're you're in a position where you're facing an existential risk or an existential loss. And so you'll do anything to avoid that. It's so important in this business to never put yourself in a position where you will do anything to make it right or to make the trade work. And so the, the more I think about this advice, the more important I think it is to share. And I try to do that with the, you know, the, the newbies at the, you know, the firm that, firms that I'm with now. Um, you always need to live to fight another day. And what that really means is preserving your reputation at all costs, because this is a business that goes on and on. There's the markets will open up again tomorrow. People will want to trade again tomorrow and they'll want to trade with you. So long as you've maintained your reputation. So that's what I've got for you, Grant. Those are the two best lessons that I've ever received and uh, happy to pass them along uh, on your podcast. I'm just curious. I'll just ask one follow-up question, Ben. I'm curious how emotion plays into that. I, I was. It's funny. I'm a bit of a poker player myself. I was talking to a poker player about how there's some tournaments where you expect people to be emotional. For instance, if they're playing for a lot of money at the final table, the main event, and the best poker play is, is of course, unemotional. Probably the best investment is also unemotional. And yet, there, there's something almost sad about not being emotional when you're playing for huge stakes and when you're at the peak of your career. So I guess, how did the emotional aspect play into you know, whether or not to go all in an investment decision or, or even put your reputation on the line? Yeah, it gets to back to that question um, about existential risk. It's, I think it's, it's crucial to, and, and frankly, this is the reason I think why we all play poker and we all enjoy the, the game of markets is we enjoy that rush of taking a risk and being proved right. And if we weren't right, well, we've got the confidence and the ego to think we're going to be right the next time. So there's absolutely, it's, it's in each of our natures by the very fact that we are engaged in this business that we get a rush out of the risk. The problem comes, and this is what I, I want to get at with uh, always live to fight another day, is that that dynamic changes when it's existential risk, when all your chips are out there in the middle of the table, when you've gone all in, when you've set up your portfolio or your business or a specific trade where if it goes against you, you're lost. And that existential risk is a totally different animal than the risk that we enjoy and live with every day here in market as either poker gamblers or as market traders or investors. 
the risk that daily risk of of understanding the reward and the the rush we get from that, the positive emotion we get from that, that's what we want. But going all in, not maybe not living to fight another day, that's a whole different animal. If you've ever experienced even a whiff of that animal, that animal of existential risk, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it's avoiding that animal that this piece of advice is really geared at. It, it's kind of interesting because as we're hearing these pieces of advice, it, it each piece of advice that that the person has received seems so salient in, in terms of defining who they are as a person and, and as an investor. And I, I dare say there does seem to be a, a bit of a difference in Mark and in Ben's approaches in terms of how much uh, emotion you might you might want to throw behind a position. I, and not to say that that either of them is wrong, but just kind of something I'm noticing that there might be a little bit of a tension there. No, you look, you're absolutely right. And, and nicely done shoehorning in the word salient there when we're talking about huh. Ben Hunt. That was, yeah. yeah, very nicely done. But but look, but this this comes down to personalities, you know. But Mark is an emotional, hard-charging, highly strung guy, and he has to harness that every day. And Ben is a much more thoughtful, much more cerebral guy that that, that kind of lives in his head and, and, and thinks about the stuff and rationalizes it. And this is why it's so interesting to get contrasting opinions like this from, from completely different personalities. So after Ben, we heard from Jeff Snyder. So Jeff, what is the single best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, I, you know, I don't know if it's a single piece of advice or more of a sort of a guideline to um, how we should approach everything. But when I was first starting out, I had a, an older advisor take me aside and basically tell me what, what kind of an insane business this is, financial services, and that part of the reason it is that way is that there? it runs or a lot of people seem to conform to cliches or shorthands or shortcuts. I mean, we've all heard the, the phrase, you know, don't catch a falling knife or you buy when there's blood in the streets. But, you know, what happens if there's blood in the streets because of all the falling knives? Um, and so, you know, his point was that uh, there's, a, there's a lot of these cliches. There's a lot of shorthand uh, that, that goes, that counts for rules, but that we need to question everything. Um, you know, these kinds of cliches are a place to start and they're good. It's often good uh, advice to follow them or at least to think about them. But that's the only, that's only the start of the conversation that we need to go beyond them. You know, my favorite of all the ones, especially in the late nineties was, you know, don't fight the fed or the Greenspan put. And so the piece of advice I followed was to question that, you know, what's going on, what's really going on. And that uh, by not following so closely, just the shortcut or the, just the shorthand, you get to a deeper level of understanding. And, you know, there's a, it's understandable why people would want to follow shorthands and rules of thumb because, you know, this is an intensive business. It requires a great deal of focus. It requires a great deal of time and commitment. And so if, if you can't or you don't have the ability to put the time and effort into it, you know, it makes sense to follow rules of thumb. But if you do have the ability, um, again, like I said before, it's it's only a good place to start. You need to really question everything that's out there and everything you see and everything you hear. I have a bit of a curveball question for you, which is in your time in the industry, is there something that has evaporated from common wisdom that, that was common wisdom when your boss told you that? Like, don't fight the Fed is still pretty pretty well adhered to, I think. But is there something that everyone has kind of changed their minds on? I don't know if it's... A, I think there's things that have become more controversial, like don't fight the Fed. I think after, you know, two big... Uh, massive um, asset bubble bursts. Uh, it's it's a little bit less of a of a 
um, universally accepted cliche as it was, especially in the late 1990s. And I think some of the esteem that people hold for Federal Reserve officials has certainly come down, uh, and rightfully so. Um, but I don't know if there's any others that are, are that have actually been completely repudiated. Although, you know, um, you know, especially since the fact that we're into a, what I think is another bubble period that is in many ways reminiscent of the late 90s. You know, valuations are stretched and true to form. People are rationalizing why they are and how they are, and why they're not really stretched and how they're not really stretched. And it, it's it's very reminiscent of that earlier period. So, you know, maybe it's just human nature. <laughs> Given that uh, piece of advice, is, has there been any point in your career where you've either followed it and it's backfired on you, or you've kind of you've you've not followed it specifically and wish you had? Oh, all the time. I mean, there's always particular moments that you wish you could have back for either reason. Uh, I, I can I can recite any number of trades that have gone wrong because of not following the advice that I, I you know I just said. Um, where you're supposed to question everything, where you just accept the conventional wisdom and think, well, you know, enough smart people are doing this, therefore it must be the right thing to do, even though maybe your gut instinct tells you that, that maybe there's something wrong there. I mean, everybody does. That. It's, it's easy to do, and it's very difficult to discern when you should follow advice and maybe when it's okay to follow the crowd because it's not always the bad thing to do. Um, and so, there, you know, there's any number of times when um, – it's easy or it's just convenient to do that. And it's, you really have to catch yourself and make sure that, that you're doing it for the right reasons, for rational reasons and not really emotional reasons, which is, I think is really what these things are about is, is trying to get you to, to strip emotion out of the decision-making process, even if it's just a, you know, using something like a, a, a shortcut to, to look at things and, and maybe be um, rational about them, even if you're not completely wrapped into the reasons behind the reason why everything is going the way it's going or what you're doing the way you're doing it. Hey, can I ask you if any phrases have gone away in your career? Uh, yeah. Rely on James. I ditched that. That lasted a very <laughs> that's, short time. That's funny. Wait, come on, let's do that. That's funny. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, listen, I, I, listen, I, I want to go on the record here. Let's, let's just put this on the record. I get a lot of flack. We've actually had emails, people sending in emails <laughs> About about poor James and pity poor James. For the record, producer James is a phenomenal producer. He's done an absolutely amazing, outstanding job every week uh, with Invention Finance. I give him a lot of stick um, in public, and I give him a lot of love in private. Easy, guys. Stand down, stand down. <laughs> but just for the record, <laughs> I would like to state out there unequivocally that this podcast would have been nowhere near as much fun uh, and as high quality as it is without producer James. So props to you, my friend. And Thank I you. second that. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, we have one more guest, uh, and that is the always interesting D. Smith. I was about to say D. Snyder then, who's the lead singer of Twisted Sister, because we had Jeff Snyder. But no, it's D. Smith, who joined us from Texas and had actually some very profound advice with a twist. So, so D., uh, what's the single best piece of advice anybody's ever given you? You know, I think the best piece of advice I was ever given was to do something you love. And the reason is not necessarily what you think. The reason is that if you convince yourself you need to do something that you don't really like, then while you may get up early and work hard at it, somebody who really loves it will be up two hours earlier and they'll run rings around you. And they'll probably be far more successful because whatever it is motivates them in a way that it doesn't motivate you. And their passion will simply put you at a real disadvantage in terms of success. 
That, so, so was that something that you were told at the very beginning of your career? That, or, or is it because a lot of people kind of get these fantastic nuggets of wisdom, you know, like twenty years and think, "Oh man, I wish I had that advice twenty years ago." That's a very good question. You know, um, I actually always lived my life that way, and then I heard someone say it, you know, a, a number of years ago, but certainly long after the beginning of things. And I thought, yeah, that it's absolutely right. And um, you know, it is—it's uh, not necessarily the conventional wisdom. I think people convince themselves that um, you know that they should do something simply because it's stable um, and you know, or it makes a lot of money or what have you. But they then end up, you know, in this disadvantaged situation, and they never really get very far with it, or the, or it's just a kind of middling success. And so I always, you know, pursued the things I was interested in. And I, you know, had the luxury of, of being able to do that to some extent, although I certainly went out on limbs many times to do it. But it's turned out to be, uh, you know, not only in terms of, of the, you know, the business success, but also in terms of just personal living to be a, a really very um, productive way of doing things. Yeah, it's an interesting point because sometimes people say, well, your definition of success should really be enjoying your life and, and not uh, amassing money or, or um, being powerful, which is, you know, a, a point of view. But I think your point is that if even if you want to amass money or be powerful, you, you better do something you enjoy because otherwise you're not going to do it uh, that well anyway. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's fine to, I mean, I, I'm all in favor of amassing money and I'm all in favor of really all sorts of you know, approaches to things, but you're not going to succeed at it if you're just plodding through it. So, you know, there are people who absolutely love being accountants or absolutely love being orthodontists or what have you, but if you just decide you're going to be an orthodontist because, you know, it, it, it's a good way to make money and it's stable, but it's not really something you like, you will not be that great an orthodontist in most cases. And so if you can find something, you know, that really does ring your bell in a, in a, in a way that other things don't, you'll be much more successful and you'll, you'll garner the fruits of that success. And I mean, now obviously, you know, we can't all do what we want to do and we can't all do what we want to do all the time. And even in the best of worlds, you know, you probably have to do 80% of things you'd rather not do to be able to do the 20% of things that you really love. I mean, that's certainly been true for me all the way along, but I think the real takeaway is not to convince yourself to do something you really don't like doing unless you absolutely have to. And most of us, you know, have choices, not everyone, but many of us do. And I think that's one of the keys to making a good choice. You know, Dee's advice has me feeling a little sentimental because I, I, I personally do love what I do. And it's been great uh, working with you guys on this Adventures in Finance uh, adventure together. So thanks for, for bringing me on board and, and letting me, uh, let me paddle a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I think I want to do something else, Grant, which is that the three of us haven't shared the best piece of advice we've ever received. That's a very good point. That is actually a very good point. Uh, okay. All right. Well, you two can go first while I think. <laughs> uh, so I, I can start. So this was a piece of advice I received very early in my career. I I think I was just, I was an intern at, uh, sorry, but CNBC. Uh, I, I was an intern before my senior year of um, college. And I was working with a reporter named Dennis Neal, who told me everything you do really means two things. 
And what he meant by that was that if I raise my hand and say, oh, I'd really like to work on this story, or, you know, another example is if I said, well, I'd, I'd actually rather not help out with that. That's not really in my interest. When you're, especially when you're early in your career, I think everything you do, people take it for, okay, good. He wants to help with the story or he doesn't want to help with the story. And then it means, and then they also take it as, oh, here's what it says about him as a person and what he's trying to do here. So he, he was always very cognizant. Uh, he, he was he helped me to be very cognizant rather of the way that the things I said would be taken by uh, the people that I, that I wanted to impress like it like my boss when I was an intern so that it, it seems a bit simple but that was a, a something I constantly thought about in the when I was an intern and as I started off in the uh, in the industry here you know I think that's absolutely right I would have given you the same advice frankly I mean it's it's so true I mean what, what you do and how you're perceived in the short term, uh, always has a long-term uh, lasting effect. And, yeah. and if you are someone that tends to say, you know, I don't want to do this, they will move on and go, okay, we need someone else. But it's always going to nag at the back of them. And when they want someone they can count on, they're likely to go to the person who said, yeah, I, can't, I, you know, I really want to help you out. I think that's, that's really good advice. Yeah. When are you going to start following it? <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, what do you got for us? All right. Well, whilst uh, Alex was going on, I was having to think. And the... The one thing that it's almost like a a motto, a mantra, and that is life is too short for warm beer. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) this is a very, this is a very Caymanian piece of advice. So to elaborate, let's, let's, let's hear how you apply that to your everyday life. Well, that that can mean, uh, that can mean anything. Just life's too short. You know, if, if, you know, in the literal sense, if if you know you got warm beer at the bottle at the bottom of your bottle, just empty it out and grab another cool great, one. Great, right? and I don't think there's a metaphorical meaning <laughs> but, here. But if uh, you know if you're doing something and you know it's it's not quite as enjoyable as it was when you first started it, and maybe you might be a little bit tired of it, um, then you know just find something new that you enjoy or. Um, you know, it's it's just it's just one of those things. You learn something new, do something that challenges you, challenges you once once again. You know, I mean that's. I mean, I've I've been from a a dive master to a research scientist. Now I'm a, a producer, and I really enjoyed being a dive master and a scientist. But I kind of understood when it had played its time out, and I left at the right time that I can look back on things and say, yeah, that was a great time in my life. I really enjoyed it rather than letting it go stale and, and, you know, end up with uh, warm beer, basically. Mm. I, I don't know quite how to tell you this, mate, but you do realize that you are still producing the reincarnation of our podcast, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Someone has mentioned that to you. Yes. Yeah, but I'm All right. <laughs> yeah. I just want to, yeah. and, the, and the other thing I'll say, if, if that little piece of wisdom doesn't get you the 23 followers you need to get to 500, <laughs> then damn it, there's something wrong in hey, the world. Right now, I am loving what I do and I wouldn't change it for a single minute. So it's, we're, we're all good. All right. Well, look, the best piece of advice uh, I ever received was very, very early in my career. And it's funny, as I'm thinking about this, I, I realized just how profoundly important that's been um, for me during my time at Real Vision. And my first job on a trading desk was uh, on the, the the JGB, the Japanese government bond trading desk back in 1985, when they actually used to trade. I mean, they, they had yields, they were, <laughs> you know, they were, they were a healthy, vibrant market. And, uh, I was very fortunate to work with a guy called George who was who was one of the senior statesmen in the dealing room and he sat very quietly in the corner because at the time 
Nobody really cared about JGBs for different reasons than they do now. They just uh, it was all about uh, the equity market and uh, the crazy prices there and in the Japanese warrant market. And George sat very quietly trading the JGBs, and and I say so was very very fortunate to sit as his assistant. That was my first job in the trading room. And he said to me one day, he said, uh, "If you want to know how to get on, he said, I'll tell you. It's very simple. He said, find the smartest people you can, surround yourself with them, and then shut up and listen." And, you know, those words have kind of resonated with me throughout my career. And it's funny, you know, with what I do for Real Vision, uh, that's exactly what I do. I find the smartest people I can. uh, I sit down with them and I try and shut up as much as I can and listen to what they have to say because uh, I can safely tell you that I've never, ever learned anything from listening to myself, but I've learned everything I know from listening to other people. So that piece of advice uh, was given to me as I say, very, very early in my career, and I have followed it assiduously ever since. Is that why you talk so much when you're around me? Uh, (laughs) Jimmy, you might think that. I couldn't possibly comment. (laughs) All right, well, listen, that sadly is the end of the show. It's the end of this incarnation of Adventures in Finance, the Real Vision podcast. Uh, But Real Vision will be back next week with uh, a new format uh, with one new host in Justine Underhill, who's fantastic, and the returning Alex Rosenberg. So before we go, I guess one last time, the legal statement. You know what, Alex, why don't you do it? No, actually, let's let James do it. Let's let James do it this week. Come on, Jimmy. Legal disclaimer. All right, all right. Here we go. Anything you heard on this episode should not be considered as trading advice. There are these are our opinions and the Okay, opinions do it again. Not. Take two, take two. Come on. Should we keep that in? I think we should keep that in. Yep. <laughs> Anything you heard on this episode should not be considered as trading advice. These are our opinions and the opinions of our contributors. Oh my god, really? You see, you <laughs> this see, is harder I than make it looks. this I this make this look easy every week. Come on, one more time. These are the opinions <laughs> of uh, my god. Dear God man! <laughs> Alright, cut, I'm doing it. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> You had your chance, Jimmy. You blew it. Let's go for it. <laughs> Anything you heard on this episode should not be considered as trading advice. These are our opinions and the opinions of our contributors. So do your fundamental research, chart your technicals, place your stops, and, and always trade, trade responsibly. responsibly. There we go. And just a reminder of what we mentioned at the top. We uh, have reduced the price of Real Vision by 70% to $180 a year. Um, we still have all the biggest names in finance. Uh, some of them, Many of them actually interviewed by uh, our, our own Grant Williams, uh, as well as a, a whole new host of short-form, uh, more trading-oriented content. Again, it's just $180 a year, and you can try it for free for 14 days if you go to realvision.com slash adventures in finance. All right. Well, before we bring down the curtain, if you've got an interesting question about this week's show, then we would still love to hear from you. Yeah. So send us an email or leave us a voice note at podcast at realvision.com. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe on iTunes. Although, just a little note, uh, the name of your feed is going to change to Real Vision Presents. Real Vision Presents. Don't forget that. To keep up to date with the latest interviews, research publications, and the new podcast, please follow us on Twitter at Real Vision. We're also still around on Facebook and LinkedIn. Just search for Real Vision. Still lurking there in the shadows. You can follow me on Twitter at TTMYGH. You can follow me at Aces Rose. And you can follow me at AIF James. 23 hardy souls required. Come on, people, step up. That's it from us. Uh, Alex, we'll see you next week. And once again, from me, a sincere thank you for everything you've given us over the last 66 weeks. And we're out. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.